we turn now to our scripture passage, which comes from Mark chapter 11, verse 12 through 19. Mark chapter 11, verse 12 through 19. And here's the thing. We're like more than halfway through the gospel of Mark in this series. And there's this change of movement here. Because from last time that I preached upon the gospel of Mark was Jesus' triumphal entry um, to really reveal to the world who really is king. Who is king of all kings? It's Jesus. And since that point, right, there's no more mention of Jesus' plan of how he's going to save the world. He doesn't talk about his death and resurrection anymore. And what you'll also notice is that there's no more healing miracles. It's all done. There's a one set heart and mind and focus for Jesus is how this king of kings truly takes his throne and rules over everything. He's going to show his power and what that means for us as a people of God to follow our king in that way. And so that's the whole movement here. The first half was about missing the mark. The second half is what does it mean to actually aim for the marks that God actually cares about? that is dear to his heart. And so that's the kind of movement we're going to see here that's going to shift, change for us as we reflect upon uh, the Gospel of Mark here. And so here we have it. Mark chapter 11, verse 12 through 19. Um, If you find your places there, and if you are able, can you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? These are God's holy, inspired, and life-giving words. Let's give them our full attention today. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers." And the chief priests and the scribes, they heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Amen. Thus goes the reading of God's word. May he continue to bless it for us as uh, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Friends, please be seated. And would you join your hearts with mine in a quick word of prayer here? Lord, as we come before you, we ask that only you can change our minds and hearts for what they are stuck on, for what our lives settle for. There's so much more that you want for us. If we could just believe, you promise us this kingdom, it's grand, the visions of everything. It's amazing for us to hear but it's the day-to-day living that we need faith in. 
And so as we, as we bring our hearts together, we pray, Jesus, that you would teach us as you teach this crowd what it means to have a heart that wants to grow. And so breathe in us, soften our hearts to receive your very words, Jesus. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's the first Sunday of the year. And like for many of you, as the new year, new year has come, also comes New Year's resolutions. I'm wondering for a lot of you, have you made some resolutions? What are some of those things? Anyone make resolutions this year? No one made any resolutions? You're all cynical and as bitter as I? That's the thing. I, I used to hate making resolutions. And I feel like the older you get, you just settle. You know what you're like. What's the point in changing? And the thing about change is that you're only willing to change if it's for certain. Because you know you need money in the future. That's for certain. So you're willing to make some changes for that. You know your health, it matters for you. So that's, that's a guarantee. That's for certain. So you'll make some changes for that, whether it's dieting or exercising. And the thing about resolutions is that we, only, we just want to make sure that it's going to pay off for us. And the thing about me, I started making resolutions this year. Not because I feel like it's going to change me and this and that, but I feel like it's good to always seek to grow. Like I vow to take more photos because I hate taking photos and I feel like maybe it might change my perspective on life if I do it. And Kathy's always been encouraging me to do it. So I said, I'll take some photos. I make resolutions to just uh, uh, be more patient this year. Lots of different resolutions this year, a little bit different. Because I'm convinced more than anything that life is about growth. This is going to sound random, but did you know, I found out this fact, that the great white shark, if it stops moving in the middle of the ocean, it dies? Did you know this? I was, I was like, that's its greatest enemy, stopping, nothing else. Because if it stops, the water doesn't get the oxygen into the, the uh, great white's uh, gills, and it dies. I feel like what an apt metaphor for our spiritual lives that if many of us sit here thinking, I'm just in a place of stagnancy, it's a little bit lukewarm, and I've kind of just been that way because of X, Y, and Z. It's just not the season of life for me right now. I'm just, I'm just grinding it out. But the thing is, there's no such thing as stagnancy. It's just active dying. That's all it is. There's either growing or dying. I'm hoping for us as a church, we, we choose growth regardless of what kind of cost it takes out of us, regardless of how scary that might sound, we need to grow. We're meant to grow. But how does it happen? I think our passage shows us three things to consider about what it means to grow spiritually, not only as individuals, but also as a people of God in this church. The first point is this, the season. What is the season for growth? The second point is our soul, soul work. The last point is, how do we seek for all this? Let's look at the first part here, season. I find transitions after big life events always to be odd, 
Whether you just get married or you give birth to a child or you graduate, you know, these big grand moments in our lives that are filled with so much adrenaline and it's emotionally charged and all of our sensory is just going sensory overload. And then you wake up the next day and it's all like, it's a dream. It's so quiet. And something has changed, but you still have the same human needs. We still go to the bathroom. We still got bills to pay. There's still work to be done, work, a work to attend. I find that the triumphal entry of Jesus is just like such a transition. A grand moment where Jesus comes in and he is paraded by all the people they are seeing in the streets. Hosanna, come save us. They're singing with great praise and anticipation that Jesus will bring liberty for them. Jesus is king. This is what people are affirming for him. And the very next day, what is on the king of kings' mind? What's on his agenda? He was hungry. He's hungry. Breaking news, headlines, president takes the Oval Office. First order on the agenda, what's for lunch? It's an odd thing. It's not exactly inspiring, but it's something you can't ignore either. And off into the distance, Jesus sees a fig tree, and he goes there to pick some of its fruits. But as soon as he reaches out to pick some, fruit, uh, some figs, he notices there's no figs. It's empty. It's barren. And as he sees the barren tree, he says in verse 14, May no one ever eat the fruit from you again. He curses this tree. I don't know about you, but that sounds crazy to me. It's like, did Jesus just need a Snickers bar just to, you know, get rid of all the hangriness that's going on? Or is there something more that he's actually hungering for? Is there something more that Jesus is hungering for? Fig trees in the Bible, they represented prosperity and peace. And when you look at places up here in Micah chapter 4, 4, to sit under a fig tree and enjoy its fruit was a sign of covenant blessing, that God has tremendously blessed your life. And when Jesus approaches the tree, there are two details given for us. First of all, it's not the season for figs. So Jesus' expectations should have been at least set where there's no, room, there's no room for disappointment because it's not fig season. He should have known this. But then there's this second detail that says that it had leaves. See, the early summer figs would normally grow, and be, as it grows, it grows its fruit first before it actually produces its leaves. So therefore, regardless of what season it actually was, this fig tree was showing signs of fruit, but was absolutely barren. See, in Jeremiah chapter 8.13 up here, it was God, a prophecy where God's people were described as fig trees that bear no fruit. They bear no fruit because of their unfaithfulness. Jesus curses this fig tree as a prophetic act. And he is essentially calling out the spiritual condition of his own generation. 
That's what he's doing. And the thing is, how easy it is for us to live, look to look okay, but to not actually be okay. I feel like we've gotten used to doing this. We're expert as, experts at doing this. To look okay, but not actually to be okay. Guys, at the start of this year, you know how I started it? I started it sick in my bed with the rest of my family. It wasn't exactly the, the head start I wanted. I had all these plans, things that I feel like church needs to happen, needs to happen within this church. But nope, you're going to be sick, Amos. You're going to be absolutely useless and lie in that bed. Frustrating for me. I thought about this idea how we can look okay but not actually be okay because I think a lot about us. I think a lot about us. I read um, someone was sharing how um, when they come to church, they're so moved by the, the praise music and that's how they really found God in their lives um, because of the praise. It was awesome for them. And then they went the next day, I don't know, a couple weeks later, they went to like some Taylor Swift concert and they went to this concert and they felt the same feelings they did at church. And they came to this conclusion oh, I realize it's not God. I just like live music. And I think about this a lot. That perhaps, why is it that we come to church? Because we can have so many good values that are similar to people at church. I don't know, maybe it's a parenting philosophy and that's what gathers you together. Maybe it's this sense of just hanging out with someone else and that, that, that's something that you uh, need and look for, which are all good things. They're great things. They're just not ultimate things. What do we actually hunger for? I heard stories about New Life Fremont, how there were these uh, golden years for this church, how there were so many people, like 100 plus people, and uh, the, the room was just packed, and we had so many resources back then. We actually had professional musicians that would just rotate on a full praise on set. Um, golden years. People would hang out and all that. And I heard all these stories, but the thing I didn't hear stories about are stories about the fruits of God's Spirit. The story is about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Where are those stories at? i got to ask, where are those stories at? What are we actually hungering for? Because what gnaws at me, and I don't say this as a judgmental thing, I say this as someone who like, I, I want it to be healthy. So what gnaws at me at the end of the day is this uh, gnawing feeling is, are we hungering for new life Fremont to grow? Or are we actually hungering for Christ? Because those are two different things, guys. Those are two different things for me. We can look okay all we want, but are we actually okay? Are we actually okay? The worst thing that could happen to us as a community is not that we shrink so much in membership, we run out of money, and we have to shut our doors. That's not the worst thing. 
the worst thing that can possibly happen to us is for us to grow, but without a hunger for God. That's the worst thing that can happen to us. I don't want that to happen to us. We're called to grow God's way. Fruits of the Spirit. Because God's not working skin deep. He's going soul deep. He works on the soul, which brings us to our second point here. Jesus enters into this temple, and it's uh, the very epicenter of God's presence. Right? You, don't, you don't just go to Disneyland without thinking about Disney characters. That, that's the main attraction. Same line of logic here as you go to the temple. You go to meet God. And yet, as Jesus goes into the temple, right, the epicenter of God's presence, he gets so mad. He is, <laughs> he is angry. He's driving people out, and he's flipping over tables. Can you imagine at this point in the sermon, I just flip over the whole communion table? That would be kind of upsetting for a lot of you. You'd be thinking, like, what's, what's going on? Why has he got to be overdramatic about this? And yet Jesus is, maybe Jesus is mad because they're selling things in the temple, and that's what most people think. But look at verse 15. He drives out both sellers and buyers. And the thing is, it was the custom for the people of God to offer sacrifices when they actually came into the temple. You brought your own offering, and the thing is, if you brought your own offering from wherever you traveled, you also had to get it approved by the temple officials. So imagine, just imagine hauling some sheep and oxen to sacrifice wherever you travel from, and then you get it inspected for approval, and the temple officials say, nope, it's not good enough. That's like a whole waste of effort right there. So it's much easier for people just to buy uh, the, the sacrifices that were already there, that are already pre-approved. And the thin there is the temple tax. Everyone had to pay the temple tax. And for those traveling, they're coming from Greco-Roman towns, which means their currency is our Roman coins. But the temple tax requires Tyrrhenian shekels, which is the closest thing to the Hebrew shekel. And the temple tax was actually an offering of atonement based up here on Exodus 30, verse 15, 16. And so when you factor in all this information, it makes you wonder, why is Jesus mad? I mean, what are the people essentially doing wrong? They're, they're obeying the, the, the Bible and the Old Testament. This is how things have been run. What, where's the foul? Where's the harm play here? You know what it is? Jesus looked at this temple like he looked at the fig tree. Full of leaves, but no fruit. They did the right things without the heart for God. They lacked a heart of worship. This is why Jesus says in verse 17, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. He quotes from two places here in the Old Testament. Den of robbers comes from Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 11, where the prophet confronts how Israel would do... Uh, would confront Israel, would do all the right things within God's temple. But as soon as they leave the temple, what do they do? They, they, they steal, they murder, they commit adultery, and they worship other gods. That's what Jeremiah is getting at. You have turned the temple of God into a den of robbers. 
You just do the right things and then you live your own life. And the thing is, a lot of us might look and hear this list that Jeremiah gives and we might think none of us are doing those things. That's not things that we struggle with. But the thing is, you do struggle, don't you? And the thing about our struggles is that we struggle with sobriety, maybe. We struggle with our sexuality. We struggle with anger. We struggle with love, how to love. And we say, it's just my struggle. I'm working on it. But the thing is, when, when you entertain your struggles long enough, your struggles turn into your strongholds. And that's what we got to look out for. Struggles can easily turn, turn into your strongholds. You can't grow like this. The only way to break strongholds, to strong, the strongholds of our lives, the only thing that could truly change that is a life of our church, what it means to recover being a house of prayer. That's it, prayer. I was rebuked by these words. Because part of the challenge of being a small church is that what becomes so obvious is we lack resources. So we look at everything that we need that has to happen. I start to think, oh, we live around Silicon Valley. How do I do Silicon Valley things? How do I up the technology, make it a little bit more pizzazzy? How do I give TED Talks that are more inspiring so people can resonate with it better? How do I do this? How do I do that? And Jesus is like, pray. You want to go? Go pray. I feel like I've forgotten this. Maybe some of us have forgotten. See, the thing is, why do we, why do we need a praise band? Why do we need a praise band? Why do we need a praise team? Keith, why do we need a praise team? You don't know? People like live music. Why do, Linda, why do we need welcoming? Why do we need a welcoming ministry? So that people will feel welcome and they'll come back next time, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Nina, why do we need a children's ministry? For God's glory? That's a good one, but legit, like what are most people thinking when we need a children's ministry? That's how we get families to come, right? Yeah, exactly. We're on the same page here. Everyone's going to look down. I'm, I'm done calling people out. Why do we need a young adults ministry? Because if we have a young adults ministry, more young adults will come. Why do we need a youth ministry? Because then more families, older families will come and stabilize us. Why do we need, um, I don't know, why do we need like, uh, I think that's it. But why do we need, why do we need these things? And yet one thing that hasn't been emphasized is we need a prayer ministry. Why? We could pray on our own. We can pray when it's convenient. Why do we need a prayer ministry? Because that's where we invite God. And is that not the whole point? We pray because we're inviting God. I know God is sovereign. I know God is everywhere. But there's something about when God calls his people to pray and they are desperate and they actually heed the words of John 15 saying, apart from me, you can do nothing. 
That's why we pray, guys. That's why we need to recover this. That's why we need to commit to this. I don't care if it's small. I'm not telling us to pray 24-7. That'd be great if you can, but we still have our lives. The thing is, have you consistently cultivated this life of prayer in your own lives? That's what's missing for me. Don't get me wrong. I pray, but I pray like it's a duty. That's why I'm committed now. The start of this year, 15 minutes before church, I'm going to be in that room. I'm going to pray for all the things that our church needs prayer about. And I'm going to ask you to join me. Not in a judgmental way, not in a, oh, Pastor Amos, he's, he's kind of being legalistic and all that. No, this, that's not it, guys. That's not it. This is about your well-being. This is about if we really want to grow, we got to listen to Jesus. we got to pray. I'm committed to that this whole year, and I'm hoping you would be too. Bring the kids. It's okay if it's noisy. The thing is, one day they'll, they'll be reminded, wow, my parents drove me early, even though they're crying and complaining and all that, but you know what they'll remember? My parents were about that life. That's what they'll pick up. Pray with me. It's about consistency. It's about rebuilding, recovering what it means to be a house of prayer together. I'm begging you. I'm encouraging you. I'm admonishing you for you to cultivate a deep life of prayer. Dude, our church needs it. We're, we're like desperate for it, guys. We can think about all the solutions and all that, but if we do not pray, then it's over. I heard that if you pray for 16 minutes a day, every day, just 16 minutes, you will have, by the end of the year, you will have accumulated 100 hours, which will put you in the top 5% of performers of any skill set. 16 minutes. 16 minutes. Dude, that's not even one-third of Singles Inferno episode for you guys. If you, if 16 is too much, fine. Do eight, do five, but be consistent. I feel so strongly about this statistic that if you are willing to actually do these 100 hours or 100 minutes, oh wait, no, no, 100 hours, right, for over the course of the year, <clears throat> you commit to this, you come away, you, you, you tell me, Pastor Amos, I did it. I did my 60 minutes a day. I honestly did it. I called to the Lord. And you know what? My life hasn't changed. Nothing has changed about anything. I'll give you $100. I know that's not a lot to you. I know that's not a lot. It's a lot to me, though. So it means a lot. This is how Adam and I feel about this. The point is consistency. See, what makes prayer powerful is because of what is actually going on when you pray. Theologian Gary Miller, he put it this way, that prayer is simply calling upon the Lord to act upon His promises. You're calling upon the Lord to act upon His promises. You know how many times my kids call me out on my own words? All the time. You told us we could go to the park. You promised us boba. You said this. And they, get me, they catch me in my own words. I can't ignore them. Because I said it. I got to make good on what I said. And yet, 
Think about it. When we call upon the Lord together to act upon his promise, how can God deny us? How can God deny himself? So imagine how this works out. You're like, you're, you're, you're in the middle of a season where maybe you're just super lost as a parent, or maybe you're just super anxious about taxes coming up this year. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just plans for the future, and you're super nervous. You don't know what to do, and you open up the Bible, and there's a promise coming from Isaiah 41.10 up here. It says, fear not, for I am with you. And you pray, 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 pray that. And how can God ignore? Or maybe you feel discouraged. Something happened in your life. The craziness of two wars that we're going through, or just how crazy generations kind of are growing up these days. And you just, you, you feel like, what's, you feel so hopeless about this world. And you open up the scriptures, you opened up to a place like John 16, verse 33, and Jesus says what? Take heart. I have overcome the world. You pray that. How can he ignore that? Or maybe you feel so exhausted and tired and you just don't feel like you have anything left to give in your life. I want to pray, but I also, I'm just, I'm just tired. I'm exhausted. I just want to lay down, watch my YouTube, my Netflix, and just veg out. I'm done. And then you open up God's word, you open up, turn, 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 turn. Matthew 11, verse 28 through 29. Come to me, all you, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and you will find rest for your souls. And you pray, pray, pray that. How is he going to deny you? He said it. How will we reject you in that? Calling on God, promise after promise, he's got to answer it. He can't ignore it. He has promised. It's powerful. But it's also a process of seeking. It's a process of seeking, which brings us to our last point. See, for thousands of years, the Jewish people, they offered sacrifices, paid their temple tax, one flip of a table, the whole system changes. And you know how upsetting it is when systems change, right? It's very disorienting. And someone is bow, uh, is, is guaranteed to get upset when something changes like this big. Right? Remember when they decided to forgive student loans? There are two sides to this. Yeah, people are cheering. But the boomers were like, what's, no, how dare they? That's this radical change here. Who's upset out of all this? It's the religious leaders of the time, chief priests and the scribes. And look what they do. They seek to destroy Jesus. They are seeking to destroy Jesus. Why are they so upset? It's the same reason why we all fear change. Making sacrifices was convenient. There was a level of certainty. There's that word again. That if I do this, then God should do this. But seeking God, anything can happen. 
That's why they're so upset. And is this not why we also hesitate to pray? What if God doesn't come through? What if he doesn't answer? So we stick to the things that we're more certain about. Because it's easier that way. But the thing about our lives, nothing is certain, guys. Nothing is guaranteed. You live based on probability. That's not the same thing as certainty. Tomorrow might be guaranteed, but also might not. That's called probability, not certainty. But we like our illusions, don't we? To seek God in prayer does not mean an attachment to the results that we want. To seek God, to seek the Lord, is to trust in his process, and through it, you get God. You might not necessarily get a better life. You might not necessarily get promoted or more money. You might not get even healed of your illnesses. The whole point about seeking God and trusting his promise, you get God. You get God. This is the growing process. I think we value uh, efficiency and quick results too much. And those combinations, that's only good for the bathroom, but not for spiritual lives. You know why it's so bad for trees to grow fast? This is kind of random, but it, stick with me here. If trees grow too fast, they become too thin it's easier to decay and rot, and then storms are easily blown over. Whereas if the oak tree takes a longer time to grow, guess what happens? It gets denser, it gets thicker, and more durable against all the storms. And yet, is this not what seeking the Lord does for us when we seek God in our tears, when we seek God even in our confusion, when we seek him in our anger and uncertainty, guess what he is doing? He's, he is at work in you, even if you can't see the fruits. He is working. He's working. You know, at the start of the pandemic, I moved. I hate moving without the pandemic. It's the worst thing in life. I was moving in the middle of the pandemic, and the problem is, some of you know because I shared this, part of that was that as soon as we moved, my wife lost her job because of uh, all the layoffs that were going on. And so here am I moving to this new place with a one-year lease that I couldn't afford. And I'm like thinking, and I couldn't go back to my old place because they kicked us out because someone else was taking over. So I couldn't go back, so I was stuck. So the whole time I'm thinking and racking my mind, how am I going to do this? I got one year lease locked in. I can't just break the lease because that cripples me too. And then like in the middle of this pandemic, Kathy plants and decides to plant Golden State poppies in the backyard. And then she like playfully tells me, oh, can we just stay till we see them grow? I'm like, oh, why would you say something like that? I'm thinking, man, are you crazy? Which I, like, I'm, like, we're lucky if we make it one month. I got to stay for these flowers. And yet, three months, six months go by. I noticed this poppy grow. What the heck? Nine months go by. 
more poppies grow because the uh, previous ones, they died and they gave birth to the seeds. A whole year goes by. I'm looking at these poppies. And I feel like it's God's inside joke to me. Saying, who's got who now? So every time I see a Golden State poppy, I just can't help but stare at it and be humbled. God's at work in our prayers as we seek Him. The whole time I thought He's not there, the whole time I'm thinking, how dare you? The whole time I'm thinking, what's wrong with you? And yet the flower still grew. Regardless of what I can't see, the Lord does see me. And regardless of what you can't see for your own selves, He sees you. That's what prayer is. The, you, the only thing, at the end of the day, the only thing that you and I can be certain about is that everyone dies. We might not like think about it that often, but it dictates so much of our living. So we do what we can to maximize the certainties that need to happen in our lives, to maximize our happiness, to maximize what it means to live a good life before it's too late. And yet here Jesus goes. He's not just flipping over tables. He's overturning our fate. He overturns the tables of sin and death by becoming a merciful, sacrificial offering in our place so that you can have an absolute guarantee, a certainty, of the love of God in Christ. The cross is God's way of saying that Jesus would rather die than to watch us not grow. That's the certainty that we have. Guys, out of all the resolutions I have for you, here it is. Grow. Pray. Seek the Lord and you can't help but grow. Guys, we're going to take this time. I'm not going to just end it here. I, I want us to legitimately pray. I got a couple of topics up here, and I want you to spend some time praying for it. And as you pray for these things, right, first on the list, New Life Fremont will cultivate a life of prayer based on what we just uh, heard and reflected on on uh, Mark 11, verse 17. Like, if we don't pray, I don't know what else we're going to do. Let's pray that we would cultivate deep lives of prayer. Secondly, the unity of the church, as Ephesians 4.13 put it, that we all attain spiritual unity into mature manhood. Maturity. That what unites us is not about race or, or certain preferences that we, we like talking about or small talk, but that the unity that really binds us together is, is the faith part, part, the God part the part that actually matters for us, that we will be united in this. The third part, healing, as Peter puts it, that by his wounds we have been healed. Listen, it's okay to not be okay. We just don't want you to stay in that place. And I think we all need healing. 
So let's pray for our church. Let's pray for healing. Let's pray for healing for some of these marriages. Let's pray for some healing with some of our uh, resentment wounds. I don't know what it is. I know that we need healing. And last but not least, hunger for God. Because as the psalmist says in uh, Psalm 34, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That you and I, we would hunger for God and not just to keep the seats open or whatever, the doors open but that we would genuinely hunger for God together. So here's what happened. You'll have your quiet space here for like five minutes or two, whether it's an awkward time or not. It's okay. Sit with it. Pray your heart out. Be genuine with it. And as you pray for these things, um, yeah, let's just pray. And then we'll go from there.
Father God, as we come before you, like we know we need to pray, most of us, that's, that's not something that isn't questioned for us. It's just that desire part. It's that jadedness. It's the fact that we still get along just fine without it. That's the part. Lord, if any of us have been just doing life without you, just kind of like on cruise control mode, oh Lord, we repent. I repent. And I pray that you would cultivate instead in replacement of all these results that we just need to see in our life or in our church, that would just be eradicated and that we will just be left with something very, very simple for us to recover what it means to have a heart of worship to build a house of prayer, that as we seek you, Lord, that even the act of praying is an act of grace, that you will hear anything at all that we have to say. So Lord, we lift up to you New Life Fremont with aunties and uncles, brothers and sisters. We're just trying to get by in this life, in this hyper-competitive area. And sometimes we just fall into just the belief systems there. Give us greater faith to know that, Lord, you alone are God. You alone are sustained. And you will be there for us. So as we learn daily what it means to call upon the name of the Lord, would you draw near to us every time we call? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So friends, here's what will happen.